If you have your Bibles and you look at this particular minor prophet, a lot of times we're wondering, you know, who is this and why is he writing? You know, and, and maybe just to give you a little bit of an idea of the prophets of old, there is four major prophets, and those major prophets are Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Daniel. Those are the major prophets. And then there's minor prophets, and then there's the minor of the minor. Uh, I, I personally uh, enjoy Zechariah because Zechariah has an incredible amount, even though he's youngest, he kind of has a little bit more of the prophecies that we look to and uh, helps us with it. But Haggai is interesting. I want to just give to you a little bit of the background here and the reason why he is actually writing this and, and why uh, and, and some of the things that are involved with the book, if you were to read it, it, w- it would be a short read. You know, I think maybe it would probably take you about maybe, you know, five minutes, ten minutes to read all the way through it. Um, and, and being involved with it um, really doesn't really have much for you other than information or maybe some history uh, of what's ha- what happened. And, and just to give you an idea of that history and to help you understand this a little bit more, I want you to look with me at verse number uh, one. It says, in the, in the second year of Darius the king. And so if we know now that he's, if we're dealing with that particular era uh, of people, uh, the, the return from the captivity uh, and really the rest, uh, the reinstitution of the feasts were now complete. Um, the foundation of the new temple was laid, but the work was hindered and the work was stopped. And so there was a hindrance uh, because of the opposition. Um, but also there was an issue with the national indifference with the, the, those that were involved. I thought it was interesting because in verse number 2, it begins, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people. And normally that God would say, My people. Mostly, you know, it seems like God detached himself from this people to kind of give them a little bit more of a saying, you know, where is God in all of this? This people kind of shows that there was a little bit of detachment from God. And so this particular situation was because of Nebuchadnezzar, and he destroyed the temple in 586, um, when Jerusalem was destroyed, of course. And Haggai is unique because he asks questions, and these questions involve a little bit more than the average. Uh, we look at about 15 years between the time that the foundation of the, of the temple was started and till now. This particular book only covers about four months of time, so it's a really quick book as far as the time is concerned. Uh, Darius, of course, is the king now, um, and, and maybe to understand a little bit more about that, um, he's actually put in place... Um, 521 is where he takes the throne. Um, Haggai is a little bit more information about him, too, is that he is really the first uh, of the of the festal, um, or his name is called Festal One. And so really to be called Festal or Festive or Feast, uh, that would be his name. And so they're actually saying that maybe he was born uh, during a time of, of feasting. Uh, we know that this is uh, post-captivity, and so now they're being released. Um, probably uh, helps us understand that this is, a, this is a book that we need to have even today. The contemporaries of Haggai are Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Zechariah, and Malachi. Um, 
And, and some say that he was probably born uh, in exile, uh, but then, of course, was able to come out of that. Um, and, of course, Darius, of, verse number one, shows that he is now in charge. Uh, the second year of Darius shows that it must have been 519, so we have the date. Uh, the sixth month, the first day is mentioned here, and so that would put us at September 1st as far as our calendar is concerned. Um, the commentators know that this was actually the new moon, that they were gathered to worship. And so that may be part of his name too, uh, as far as festive, if you would, or festal, um, help, uh, the festal one to help him to know that this is something that they are going to worship. And so the announcement is going to be made on this particular time when the moon, uh, was new and rather large because that's when they would gather together for worship. Um, it's addressed to, uh, two different men, to Zerubbabel and Joshua. It looks like it might just be delivered to these two men because one of them was was concerned about the civil responsibilities and and the other one was concerned about the religious responsibilities, Joshua being the high priest. And of course, uh, Zerubbabel means um, begotten in Babylon. That's what it means. Uh, he was the grandson of Jehoiakim, and Jehoiakim was the 19th priest, or 19th king of Judah. And so remember that both Israel and Judah had an, had a, had a, had a, had a, somewhat of a monarchy at times. Uh, both of them had 19 rulers. Uh, Judah had one, uh, queen, Athaliah. Uh, at the time this particular, um, uh, this particular letter was written was really, uh, the time of Jehoiah Kin's grandson, which was uh, named Zerubbabel. Um, and of course, the word Joshua means salvation and so on. And this was the grandson of Jehoiadak. He was the high priest, and during the evasion, he was in charge. Uh, at least his grandfather was, and he was the grandson. What blessed me was to see that there was some young men that knew that there was a responsibility to their nation and to their culture. It excites me when I see people stepping up to whatever the need is to be able to meet the need. And certainly the need was here. And uh, this was addressed to them, you see in verse number one and in verse number two, he addresses the people uh, instead of my people. And so with that in mind, I think it's important for us then to, to look at a little bit more concerning what the letter has and what's involved in here. First of all, there is a rebuke, and we read that earlier, and the rebuke really is this. And I don't have time to read everything, but I want you to look at verse number 5. It says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says that also in verse number 7. Same kind of uh, a thought, same verse. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Turn over to chapter 2, if you would, in verse number 18. He basically says in chapter 2, um, verse number 18, Consider now from this day and upward, from the fourth and twentieth day of the nine month, even from the days that the foundation of the Lord's temple was was laid, consider it. And so when he's saying consider it, he's actually saying take it to heart. 
Now, now, this is really a rebuke because it seems like maybe everything else was on the heart except for the, the rebuilding of the temple. And this was the rebuke. Take this to heart. There is a concern here because there seems to be a little bit of a problem with their ways. And so he's asking them to consider the ways. And we see the calamity. And, and why does the calamity happen? And why is this being told to them? Why is, why is God saying, re- re- release this message? Message or relay this message to the people to consider consider their ways. I think it's important for us to understand that a lot of times we, if we're not careful, we can allow the Lord's work to be set aside. Now, here here's what's involved with the rebuke, and here's part of the the calamity: is the people began to have a little bit more self-seeking because the Bible says that they actually would run to their houses. It says in verse number nine, "You looked for much." And lo, it came too little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. And why? Thus said the Lord of hosts, because of mine house, that it was wasted. You run every man to his own house. And so it seems like there was a little bit more self-seeking that needed to be to, to be rebuked. And so self-seeking can be a horrible thing if we're not careful, because really self-seeking gets us nowhere. In any place in life, if you can just write that down, self-seeking will get me nowhere. And so help us understand a little bit more that if we're thinking of others and we have others on our mind, then we benefit from that. So much is involved with the self-seeking. Uh, the, the, the necessities, of course, were so expensive at that time that there was no surplus. And so it just seemed like the, the amount of, of money was coming in but then there wasn't really the ability to use that money because their expenses were so high that they didn't have really much for themselves or much of a surplus. And that's what was happening to, the, to God's people. It seemed like God was, was kind of opening up a little bit more of their understanding for their need of, need of things. I, we don't have enough uh, to, to meet the, the, the things that we need. We don't have enough money to do that. I remember when I first got married, uh, it's been 36 years ago, and I remember Tammy and I, uh, we'd have a little bit of money. I was not as concerned about money as I should have been. Talk to Tammy about that. She'll tell you afterwards. Uh, you know, I, I was just loving my job, working. I worked for the Postal Service, and I remember getting paid every two weeks. And, and I went from salary, I went from uh, being paid by the hour into salary because I went into management. And at that particular time, I thought it was cool to be in management, of course, but my, my salary wasn't as enough. I was making more money just carrying, uh, uh, you know, and it wasn't uh, that, that great of a job being on, being on, on uh, being a foreman for the for the postal service, uh, and I remember going sometimes on Thursday nights. We'd go out to eat at the Sizzler Steakhouse, and then afterwards go to pick and save. And so I can remember those times early on, and we'd say we only have like thirty five dollars to spend on groceries. And how many have ever been at that place? Raise your hand, where you've had to struggle through, and and now you're doing it now. I understand, but the necessities here were so expensive that their wages left no surplus. Because of something was wrong, it seemed like God was blowing upon their money. It seemed like they just didn't have enough to, to, to meet the needs. If you look at verse number 6, you sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but, but ye are not filled with drink. You, you are clothed, or you clothe you, but none of you are warm. And he that, uh, and he that earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. It seems like, it's, it's going someplace. How many of you have ever thought, 
There's got to be some money for my checking account being gone somewhere else. Can you, can you re- relate with that with me? You know, sometimes at the end of the month, you're saying, where did all that money go? You know, uh, how, how are we able to make ends meet? Well, I think that's the, that's the situation here. And God is actually bringing to the forefront what the problem is. And we're seeing that there was a problem with the self-seeking more than there was for the Lord. Now, I'm not here to rebuke you. I'm here to repeat what God said to the children of Israel during a time where they were saying that it's not time yet to build. We know the foundation's there, but we can't build. No, it's not. It's going to be when and I say it's time, and God is saying to them, wait a minute, you're allowing this to actually uh, be on, your, on the low on the priority list when my house should be taken care of. God is saying that to the people. He's actually rebuking them. I think it's interesting as we think about this because we're dealing with the calamity, but also we're dealing with the charge, and the charge is in verse number 8. Can you look at your Bibles? Can you see that? Go to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. And so he's saying, I want you to go up to the mountain, and I want you to bring wood, and I want you to bring it down, and then I want you to build the house, and then I'll make pleasure in it, I'll take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified in all of this as you continue to build. And as you continue to help uh, the cause of God, and he's basically giving this, the charge to them to go. Isn't it interesting that God is still saying, go to us? He's still saying for us to go forward. I think it's interesting this morning because we were dealing with one of these last men in the Outsiders book. The next one is going to be David Livingstone. And in him, he, and in that particular uh, man would always say, I, I will go anywhere as long as it's forward. I thought that's a pretty good saying that, you know, I'll go with you, but I want to go with you forward. Enough of, of, the, of the attitude that we're going to have to go backwards. I really believe that God wants us to move forward in everything in our life, in our, in our personal walk with God, of course, and in our family, and in our church. I believe God wants us to move forward and wants to help us to continue on. But I think you always lose when you neglect the work of the Lord for material gain. And so let me just say that again. You always lose when you actually deny or, 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 or overlook the work of the Lord for your own material gain. In other words, if you think you're going to make double time on Sunday somewhere working, you're never going to be able to gain for God that way. And I really believe that God still wants us to have a day of rest. I still believe that. I believe it's in the scriptures and I believe it's biblical. And it's part of my theology and part of my upbringing and part of my making is that God has a day that he wants us to take out of the schedule and take time with him so that he can actually give us the rest we need so that we can function the rest of the way all week. I think, as you know, I've been near 22 years and I've taken Mondays off. Well, that's going to cease for a while. Uh, by the way, if you count up the Mondays that I was able to take people to the doctor and so on, it's not always an off day. So there's other things I'm going to be doing, administration and so on. But for now, as going back into school, I will be in here on Mondays. If you need anything, I will be available for you. But it's interesting as we think about this particular understanding in this particular passage, we see that the charge... Now, we see the response to this charge. When he says for them to go to the mountain and bring wood, look what your Bible says in verse number 8. It says, go up to, bring, to the mountain and bring this wood back and build the house, and I'll take pleasure in it, and I'll be glorified in this, saith the Lord. 
But he says here, it's interesting in verse number 12, because he gives us now the response of the people. It says in verse number 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, uh, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, and the, the high priest, with all of the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. I love that when he's talking about obedience, because in this passage you see that there is a rebuke happening. Now I want you to go up, and then all of a sudden the leaders that understood that this is part of the responsibility, now we're going to go up and we're going to do this. They were obedient to really the call of God to go. Does the Bible give us any other place that we're supposed to be obedient? Go ye therefore unto all nations, right? Talking about um, baptizing them in the, in the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we see that there is a desire that God has for us to go. Uh, and now, and that's not just necessarily over uh, to, to China or any other country. That's talking about going to, to the Dane County Jail. Go, go, that's talking about going to the nursing homes. That's talking about going some other place. Other than really what we're doing, uh, perhaps in our normal life, there is this desire for us to go, and God is expressing that. Now he says, as far as the obedience is concerned, and he's actually seeing it here, and God's noting it, that they did obey. But I thought it was interesting, because in verse number 13, Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. Now, that's the promise. So God is saying, if, if you listen to what I'm saying for you to do, and if you do what I've, what I've, uh, what I've uh, uh, directed you to do, and, and the charge that I've given you to go, and if you do that, guess what? I'm going to go with you. Doesn't he tell us that in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, when he says, go ye there, as he say, and I will be with you always, even to the other end, other, other uh, most parts of the world. And so God is actually saying, and I will be with you during that time. I think it's important for us to know that if we're not careful, that we can actually actually, without considering our ways um, regularly, doing a self-evaluation, it might just be that we might backslide a little bit away from what God has. And so when we're considering our ways, we can say it this way, consider your ways. We might be able to emphasize the word consider. Consider your ways. We might say, consider your ways. Ways. Isn't that a good way of saying it? Because then you're thinking about what you can do and not about what others aren't doing. And this is really an important thing for you to understand early in life. Don't be concerned about others' disobedience. Just be concerned about your obedience to God. Can I, can I encourage you in that? Say, am I, am I obeying? Put a little, today, just, just take, take a little note and say, I'm going to talk to me. I, I'm going to let this talk to me. You know, am I really considering my ways? And so consider your ways could be a way we could say it. Or we could say, consider your ways. And so we're dealing with what are my ways versus what God has for me. And God actually has given us a life that we can live. And we can actually say, these are things that God has. And I know that I'm going to benefit from it because God has my best interest in mind. When he says, if I want you to sow this. Uh, so you can reap this. It is actually true. 
that God does work that way. So if we are going to sow in a wrong way, we are going to reap in a wrong way. But when we are going to sow into that which is good, God is going to provide for us that which is good. And this is irrefutable, folks. You can't change this. It's like a little bit. We're going to be able to walk down into the garden once it gets a little bit drier. And we're going to be able to till the ground. And we're going to be able to plant some seeds in there. And then we're going to see what God will do if we water it and take care of it. There's going to be plants coming out of it. It's just the way the sowing and the reaping works in a natural world. It also works within your own life and with your own ways. And I want you to be careful that, that even though maybe the crowd's down today, and even though maybe perhaps uh, you didn't get a donut or a bagel this morning, and maybe there's something else that's causing you to be a little bit upset today, can you just take this to heart? Consider your ways, my friend. Consider how you're thinking. Consider if your ways please the Lord or not. And I think the root of spiritual indifference is coldness concerning the things of God. And so when we're talking about this whole thing of considering our ways, I think we're actually considering our own indifference concerning the Lord's ways. So it's a problem here. They weren't really thinking about moving very fast. They weren't really thinking about doing much because they felt it wasn't quite time yet. But I think really if we look at this particular uh, mindset. And by the way, this sums the whole message up. It's just in this little small paragraph. The root of spiritual indifference is coldness concerning the things of God. Are you cold concerning the things of God? Did, did, did you know where your Bible was this morning or was it gone? Did you, did, were you having trouble finding really uh, your devotional book or, or was it something that was right there at your fingertips? And sometimes if we're not careful, we can have this spiritual indifference. And spiritual indifference comes because of a coldness toward the things of God. It is then easy to camouflage indifferences with excuses um, or, or your spiritual indifference. Um, you can camouflage that with excuses and evasions. And by the way, when we see God, there is not going to be any excuses. We're not going to st- stand before God and say, well, you know, I really, didn't, I really didn't think that that was the way it should happen, Lord. We're not going to be able to do that. I think when we think about standing before God, it ought to make us sober enough to say, "My way, if my ways do not please God, I need to start today. I think about when true faith is present, deterrent is absent. Let me just give you the phrase again. The root of spiritual indifference is coldness concerning the things of God. It is then easy to camouflage indifference with excuses and evasions. When true faith is present, deterrent is absent. You show me somebody with true faith, they will continue on. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Are we going to hear those words from God? Are we going to continue on to do what God wants us to do? Or are we easily deterred? Are, are, we, are we making all kinds of excuses? I just want to encourage you. And by the way, if this makes you uncomfortable, uncomfortable this morning, come next week because I'll probably make you comfortable I want to switch off every other week, okay? And so if this makes you uncomfortable, come next week and I'll make you more comfortable. 2020 is exceedingly still new for all of us. A new year with new goals and new perspectives and new ambitions and a new year also brings new challenges. But what brings much excitement with the new year, it is that we have an opportunity to start over. And many of us run out of gas. Many of us seem like we're all spent. And many of us maybe feel that way today. 
But we need, we need to be careful that even when we're, we feel like we're spent completely, we've got to remember that even during those times, we're still going to give an account to God. I like what the book of, of Hebrews says. It says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? How, how long does it take to digress spiritually? I don't think it takes much time these days. Because you're being bombarded by things of the world every single day. And if your cell phone is charged right now, you're probably going to be distracted. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God could just zap it and our cell phones would be discharged automatically? You know? Because I think that it would be a complete deterrent from all of the things that are going on in the world today that are taking away from you. It's causing you to be afraid. It's causing you to, to be concerned. It's, ta- it's talking about things that aren't even happening, you know. We're now going to have a segment on all of the sports complexes closing down if they need to because of the coronavirus. They're going to do a story, and they're going to pay millions of dollars to have this story done by just in case something happens where we've got to close down all of these things. Because it might happen. Well... Let's be concerned about it somewhat, but (laughs) why would you constantly bombard the people with it if it's not even happening? Because they want to control your brain. You think you're so intelligent, but all you're doing is just weighting your brain down with all kinds of facts uh, out there, and some of them are misleading things that aren't really facts. You've got to be careful in this. And I want to encourage you, by the way, to digress. It doesn't happen very, very slowly these days. It can happen really quick. Um, you can slip off into thinking things you shouldn't really fast because of what's not only on your computer on the desk, but also what's on your phone and different things that are in the world. I, I uh, appreciate um, being out a little bit in the country just a little bit. And I appreciate being able to see things. Last night, I, uh, my wife got home uh, late afternoon. She was taking care of her great aunt all day. And then um, we put some brats on. And I went out to the, to the back deck, and I turned everything and looked up, and here was 10 deer. Wow. Yeah. I don't know where they're at. When I got my gun, I don't know where they're at. <laughs> so I yelled, hey, where were you guys? Two months ago, you know. You know, but... It's just beautiful to see the snowmobile trails done, you know, for the year. So it melted, and so that for some reason they were finding small pieces of beans because it was the bean field, and they were just enjoying the feast. And I was watching them, and I just really enjoyed that. You see, there's it's 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 the outdoors is is just beautiful, I, I believe, because there is no towers out there, you know, there's no Wi-Fi there. It's just you and and God. It isn't that. His goal? I think it is. You see, things can digress really easy. In fact, someone can put uh, a paper traffic ticket. How many of you ever got a traffic ticket? Raise your hand, be honest. 
You know, I've gotten those at the Dane County Jail. It's, uh, how many have ever used the, the thing where you used to put money? Remember, you used to put money in? It's no problem. But now you've got to put your, you got to, first of all, you have to put the number in. So if you, if you walk a half a block, you've got to remember your number. Otherwise, you've got to walk back and get your number. You know? So you've got to go back. Oh, it's 1507. You get down there. I think you push in 1503. I thought it was 1503. You've got to walk. Maybe you don't have a problem with your memory, but I do. So, and then I have to put my, my uh, card in it, and I have to pull out real quick because it says put it in, pull it out real quick. You know, If you do it too slow, it doesn't quite take it, and so then it says you know doesn't function or card rejected, and then you're trying to... How many have ever had a problem doing that? Up at the, yeah. I want to take a hacksaw and just cut the thing down. So I, didn't, I don't know where that went. I, I was fine. I but I get a little ticket, a little paper ticket, if it, if, it, if it blows away. You know how long it takes for that to just... To digress and dissolve, disintegrate, it takes about two to four weeks for that to be gone. That's all it takes, and it's gone. I was thinking about how you take a cotton rag, it takes one to five months to disintegrate. Take a piece of rope, it takes three to 14 months to disintegrate. You take a wool sock, just one, it takes a whole year for that to disintegrate. And, and I've been tilling the garden and, and, and sometimes they, they put things down there. We're in a farm land, and sometimes I'll till the garden, and I'll find things in there, metal things that don't disintegrate. And, but there are things that come up, you know, parts of, 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 of tractors that they had and parts and so on, and some of it does disintegrate. Aluminum can takes two to 400 years to disintegrate. How about a railroad tie? Everybody use those? I use those for my steps. It takes 30 years for them to disintegrate, so I better die soon. Otherwise, I'll be replacing them. You know, Think about a roof and how quickly it can disintegrate if you're not careful. The roof on our church. I remember doing it, Brother Jerry, and you and David probably worked the most on it. But I, I look at our roof, and it's getting bad again already. Disintegrates. A railroad tie takes 30 years. A plastic bag takes 450 years. That's amazing. A glass Coke bottle... Never disintegrates as far as they were as unknown. What is involved with decaying? There is certain irrefutable natural laws. And these are not hypothetical evolutionary laws they, the, that, that rule some wild world that has no order. But God has put things in order in our world, and I want to just talk about that for a moment. We've all heard of the law of gravity, haven't we? We know that this is a true law. Maybe you've heard of the four laws of thermodynamics. Maybe you've heard of these. We have taken account the reality of the way things work and not make up things. Evolution is made up, by the way. It's not true. God created every person in this room. You have come from God. You, you, you cannot live and exist in a rational mind today and say that there is no intelligent design, especially if you're in the medical world. I'm, I'm learning more about my, my system because I have to watch what I eat now more, and I have to do all of these things, and I think about how things work together. And some of the things my doctor told me three years ago, now I'm understanding completely on how it works, and I can't help but think there is a God who designed me. 
And he did make these things true. And if I do this, this is what I get. The second law, though, of of thermodynamics explains how things digress in a natural way. This law states that although the total amount of energy in the cosmos or in the atmosphere remains constant, the amount of energy available to, to do useful work is getting smaller or on the decline. So let's, let's take a stream that flows from the top of any mountain. The water that flows produces kinetic energy that can be put to use. And if that water flows through turbines, it will generate electricity. And once the water reaches the sea level, it loses kinetic energy and it loses its current or its ability to produce electricity. The amount of water remains the same, but the water loses energy as it loses altitude. And everything in the physical universe tends to move or shift toward the area of highest entropy, or a gradual decline into disorder or useless energy. So translating this principle into modern-day English, we say everything tends to move in the direction of the least orderliness and greatest chaos, or the maximum spentness. Order tends to disintegrate into disorder without useful energy. This is seen in Proverbs 24, verse number 30. Remember where this man stopped and he took heart? That's the same word for consider. His vineyard that once was, and how the case was reviewed and the conclusion was reached, we cannot deny that the law of entropy or everything decays eventually is not involved. Things run down, things rust, things decay, and that natural understanding is also in the spiritual world when you neglect your Bible or you neglect to pray or you neglect to walk with God the way you should. And so we have this old hill on our, not too far from our house. There's a, there's a house on it now, but I remember going up there with my four wheeler and putting traps out there and there was an old truck. That, that actually was all rusted. It must have been in the 50s it was put up there, maybe the 40s. There was machinery that was there, and there was the seats were all still intact because they were metal. And so we see this digression and this, this disintegrating, if you would, happening in the natural world, but it also happens in the spiritual world if we're not careful. And so how can I help you this morning? I think the first thing would be, if you wanted to take notes, consider your walk with God. How is your walk with God? How is your heart? My grandpa used to sing the song. How about your heart? Is it right with God? How many have ever heard that song before? You know, I'd sing it, but then I'd have all kinds of YouTube hits, and I don't need all of that. So, and People that know me know I can't sing a lick. But consider your walk with God. The Bible covers it all over in the New Testament. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called of the Lord. Colossians 1.10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse number 12, that you walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So the first thing is really is how is your walk with God? How is your fellowship or your communion with God? Were you actually talking to God better a year ago than you are right now? 
Was there a time five years ago when you were so on fire for the Lord you couldn't wait to get into your Bible and to read it? Is that the way it used to be with you? I want to encourage you that that communion, that fellowship can happen again today, beginning today. To say, Lord, help me to have the kind of fellowship I need to. Help me to communicate with you on a regular basis. Keep your conscience clean by keeping short sin accounts. How many have sinned this week? Raise your hand. The rest of you are not telling the truth. Let me tell you something. We're all sinners. And we're all, we all need a Savior, amen? And the only way that we can keep close to God is by keeping short sin accounts. In other words, we need to go to Him and confess our sin to Him if we know there's sin. If there's something in my heart that's hindering the work of God, I need to take care of it. I don't know how many times this morning I said, Lord, would you please forgive me for every difficult thing that I did this last week against your will? Forgive me for thinking the things I shouldn't think, for doing the things, and and forgive me for not doing the things I should do. Forgive me, Lord. I don't know how many times this morning I've communicated to God, please fill me with your spirit now. Help me to be able to be productive today. The people have come to hear your word. Listen, if we go back to Haggai and see this particular understanding, we would actually, our eyes would be open and say, wait a minute now, consider your ways because the work of God is not being done. It's undone. Consider your Bible reading. Not necessarily the reading, but the meditation upon it. I like it when I just take one verse and then think about it. This is the way Charles Spurgeon was able to write some of the greatest sermons was just meditating upon one little phrase from the scriptures. Some of you have the morning and evening. If you don't have it and you like it, we have it for sale here because it's a devotional book that you could use in the morning and you can read the morning and evening with us. And it's interesting as you read it because you'll see just one little phrase, but he was walking with God so much that he could actually... Write a whole page of things out of one little phrase. Consider your prayer time. Consider your walk with God, but also consider your ways at home. Listen to this first. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, and the younger as sisters, with all purity. Honor widows, that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home or to show kindness at home first and then to requite their parents or repay their parents for that is good and acceptable before the Lord. Oh, the breakdown of society is everywhere today. I look out and I think, oh, the need is so great. Where do we start? Where do we begin? We begin with our own hearts, my walk with God. When I consider my ways, how am I doing with my relationship with the Lord? But second, how am I doing at home? What am I teaching my children? And by the way, they're not going to do what you say. They're going to do what you do. That's just the way it is. Somebody wrote a book. It was called Family and Civilization. I think it was Carl Zimmerman, 1947. He recorded his keen observations. This is a long time ago. And he He compared the disintegration of various cultures with a parallel decline of the family life in those cultures. Eight specific patterns of domestic behavior typified the downward spiral of each culture that Zimmerman studied. And here they are. Marriage loses its sacredness. Did you know it's a sacred thing to be married? Don't take marriage lightly. Take it 
and understand that it is the sacred work of God. I think I've, I've been involved with so many, over 30 weddings. And, and, I, and I think about how it's a picture of the holiness of God to bring two people together. It is a picture of God and you coming together. It's like a marriage. It's a commitment. It's, 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 a, it's a covenant that you make. It's, it's a beautiful thing to be married. It's a sacredness. And I think that it, our society is losing that more and more. This is an old study. It's, it, he says here that marriage loses its sacredness is frequently broken by divorce. Traditional meaning of the marriage ceremony is lost. That's what increases the feministic movements. The feminist movements abound. There, there is an increased public disrespect of parents and authority in general. In an acceleration of juvenile delinquency, promiscuity, rebellion occurs. Then there is a refusal of people with, with a traditional marriage to accept family responsibilities. Because they don't have to function as a husband and be responsible as someone that would love their wife and take care of their children and be able to work hard and then pay the bills and then take care of things. That responsibility before God is being neglected. It's disintegrating in our own eyes. And I believe God is looking down and saying, consider your ways, America. Consider your ways because you have chosen this. But you can't choose the consequences. There is a refusal of people to, with the traditional marriages to accept family responsibility. There is responsibilities in the wife and there's responsibilities in the husband. And those, when they're neglected, it hurts everybody. As he goes on to say, a growing desire for and acceptance of adultery is evident. There's an increase of, of, of an interest in a spread of sexual perversions and sexual related crimes. And so we're supposed to consider our families in all of this. Consider that if you have a trouble with a computer and you have a trouble with what you're watching, I, I said this before, six dollars is all it costs. You don't need all kinds of counsel. What you need to do is go to Farm and Fleet. It only costs six bucks for a wire snippers and cut the cord. It's all it costs. Listen, it'll save you all kinds of money. Get rid of it. If you can't control your impulses, then get rid of it. And, 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 and it's important for us to understand this because you know what's happening? We're raising children that are codependent on, on little mechanism things. And, and what are they seeing? What are they seeing? What are they involved in? I, I've gone way too long of this sermon, but let me tell you something, folks. I think it's important for us, if we're really going to consider our ways, we're going to consider our walk with God. How am I doing, God? Help me, Lord, to have this walk with you. And I remember writing stuff in my Bible, underlining verses and words and so on. It's like, it's like having this little pick, you know, and I'm, I'm, in a, I'm, in a, I'm in a cave where there's all kinds of stones and some are pretty and I'm picking away looking for those gold nuggets, you know. And the Word of God is like that. There's so much in there that can help you and strengthen you. Your communion with God, your walk with God, and then your, your ways at home. Do you show kindness at home? Is your home in order? If your home is in disorder, then, then, then make, it, make a, a desire to say, look, I, I'm going to make things at home orderly. God will help you do that. You know, my office, I've been in that office now for 22 years. And every, every like five years, I go, oh my goodness, look at all this stuff. You know, I got stuff from India I was giving away this last week. You know, 
you know, all the stuff people bring to me, and I just kind of get rid of it. it. Seems like previous pastors bring me their stuff, you know. You know, I'm not in the ministry anymore. So I'm, what am I supposed to do with that? You know. And, and by the way, some of it did go in the dumpster. I'm not trying to be mean, but I can't handle everything. You know. Uh, recently, I had a pastor that retired this, this last week, and he said, "I got some stuff for you, Dean." I didn't answer him. He texted me that. I'm not, I'm not going to answer him. No, I'm not going to. Someday when he texts me, i got some more stuff. You can come over here and pick up. I'm going to be like, who's Dean? I'll just text him back. Who's Dean? I don't know who this is. You know? <laughs> so I'm just trying to help you. Come help me clean my office. Let me tell you something. An office that's disorderly, it's a pastor that's disorderly. In a home that's not in order, it's going to be parents that have this in disorder. I'm just trying to help you. I'm not trying to be mean. It's part of getting things and considering your ways. And then lastly, consider the things at church. What can you do to help us here? Consider your ways. God was helping them understand more and rebuking them by making a statement of considering your ways. I hope that you would consider your ways. Church is an opportunity for you to use your spiritual gift to help carry out the Great Commission. The premium of a functioning church is incredible. God blesses his church. And when we do it his way, he is glorified. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I want to talk to you, first of all, Christian. And I want to talk to you directly. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I've, I've not been... I've not been really faithful or even concerned about my ways. And maybe today you would say, Pastor, I'm... One of these points hit me pretty hard and I realize that I've got to change some things. I want to pray for you. I won't point you out. I won't write your name down. But I'll remember. But maybe you're here today, you're saved, and you're saying, Pastor, I need, I need some prayer this morning. Is there anyone like that? Just lift up your hand. Put it back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. But maybe this morning you're here, you say, Pastor, I, I don't really understand everything because I don't even know if I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm not sure of that. I, I, I want to go to heaven, but I still haven't settled that. And would you please pray for me? That would be the first thing I need to do concerning considering my ways. And maybe this morning you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure that I'll be there, but I want to be. Is there anyone like that? Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty, men. Thank you. In just a little bit, if you wanted to come down the aisle, if you're a man, I'll have a man take you aside and show you from the scriptures how you can know for sure. Maybe you're a lady, I'll have a lady show you from the scriptures how you can make sure. But maybe you just want to come and pray and talk to God. Say, Lord, I want to commit my life to you. I'm considering my ways. I want you to have them. Then why don't you come? Come on down the aisle, and this is an old-fashioned altar. Maybe it's to join the church. 
or maybe it's to, to be baptized and you feel like God wants you to come and you come forward. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just take the time and stand with me? Would you stand right where you are? In just a moment, the piano is going to begin playing. And maybe this morning you would come and say, Lord, here I am. Help me. Help me to be. Help me to do things that will please you. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide this morning. I pray that you would help us to to be more of, of people that are open to change. We just ask now that you would use the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, step out. One more stanza. I want you to close our service with a word of prayer. Would you come? Sooner or later, this was going to happen. I know you knew that. I want you to come on up here and close our service with a word of prayer. Micah's been coming now for quite a few months. I think he likes Ashley. I think that's why they sit together. But, uh, but he's a blessing to me, and I want him to close our service. Be back tonight. I know it'll, it'll be good for you to come and hear a little bit more. What do you do as you get closer to the second coming of Christ? Um, I said my piece concerning the coronavirus, and so I won't say anything about that tonight, but I will talk about the end times. So be back at 6 o'clock. Micah. Dear Father, thank you for a wonderful day, even though uh, there's quite a bit of fear uh, concerning the coronavirus, and uh, thank you that um, people are still coming to church to hear the Word of God preached, and uh, I pray that you keep everybody safe going home. Uh, bless us as we spend time with our families this afternoon. Amen. Softball meeting in the-